Have you ever wondered what it would take to turn your dream life into your real life? If you have a dream, a calling, or a passion that's burning inside you, you know there's always a gap. The distance between where you are and where you want to be. And sometimes that distance is insurmountable. Thankfully, you're not alone. You've got friends, family, and a crowd full of seen and unseen supporters cheering you on. I'm one of them. My podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper, are conversations with real people who face discrimination, heartbreak, insensitive comments, and sometimes found themselves wondering if closing the gap is really possible. Each person has generously shared their lessons on how they navigate life's trials to enjoy the triumphs it has to offer. They share years of experience so that you, too, can turn your dream into real life. All right. This is Nathaniel Austin. He is the president of the Horizons Group LLC, a human capital consulting firm specializing in HR, strategic planning, talent acquisition, management development, training, and succession planning. Anybody who's listening can actually get more information by simply typing in nateaustin.com, and they can read your bio and the speeches that you do and more about you if they want more, as well as they can just go below this recording and they will get a copy of your bio and they can connect with you that way. I am honored and thrilled to be doing this interview with you. We have known about each other for a little over eight years. I don't know yeah. if you recognize that. Eight, oh, nine sure. years now. Yeah. And so through our affiliation and work through the National Association of African Americans and Human Resources. But I wanted to talk to you today primarily about your journey. The okay. podcasts are always about talking about their Thousands upon thousands, maybe millions of books on what to do to be excelling, to to rise above and to be a high performer. But rarely do we really get to put that in a grounding around what do I need to do today to take one step forward so that I can be better tomorrow than I was today, so that I can be closer to what it is I want in my life. And I can look back and say that I had an extraordinary life. As I looked at your history, as I thought about you, your work that you've done in terms of understanding what does it take to be successful in the 21st century and what is peak performance, both from a human resources point of view. You know, you've been in this business 50 years, and you've done very well. Who would want to know what that, <laughs> how you did it, right? Well, I thank you for saying that. You put it in a perspective that really sometimes is a little bit intimidating even to me. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things I learned is is we're so busy looking forward, we forget to look back to see how far we've come. That's true. That and is it isn't true. until these moments that we really get to go, dang, I came a long way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so one of the questions I really like to ask people is as you look back and thought about this, what is it that got you to stay in the game, to get up after you got gut punched? Because we've all been gut punched. How did you get up? Oh, wow. Well, when you say gut punch, I probably would put plural in that and say the punches because we all, not just one, but there's been several. And in my career, probably I'm using a term, I think Frank Sinatra would say regrets. Well, this case would be punches. Uh, Too many in some cases to mention because I did change jobs. I changed careers. I changed industries. I guess looking back, as you said, over the 50-plus years, being that pioneer, that person that was willing to take a risk. And I think when you say success, 
what does it mean? I think one of the qualities that you want to instill is I was willing and people should be willing in some cases to take a risk. I came up in an era where a person would, once they landed a job, they stayed. And I was not like that. So when you ask the question, what were some of the gut punches, I think the first one was when I joined the state police in Maryland. Back in, and it'll be, as you said, 50 years ago this year, 1968. And at that time, African Americans or people of color didn't join in record numbers police departments and let alone a state police department. When I joined that, I made the number 10. I was the 10th person of color to join that state police. So to oh, get wow. Gut- so you, so, let yeah. me interrupt you. One point I yeah. want to make is sure. you know what it's like to be the only. Yes, I do. I've been that role probably in a lot of positions that I've had being the only one or the first one of two or one of three. But in the state police, I guess, when I came in there and my last name being Alston and I was the first one that many people saw, it set another tone. And I knew that going in, I could experience that coming out of Maryland here. So the first gut punch was a classmate of mine, and it was really more so of a very subtle remark or subtle gesture, really, can't say remark, but we were in the State Police Academy dorms, and we were having our dorm room inspected, and like most semi-military or military operations, you stand at attention, and you're standing beside your entrance to the door, and the people are coming back to inspect your room. Well, I was standing in the hallway, and a fellow trooper candidate was on the opposite side of the hallway, and we were staring at each other, and he did something very subtle that I think really people have to be aware of. He looked at me in the eyes and did the elevator eyes. He went up and down. And Denise, he said something to me that I had to come right back with it. That first gut punch, when he looked up and down, he made this comment. They must have let the standards down to let some people in. Mm. And I knew what he was talking about. So I immediately looked at him and did the same thing, looked up and down and said back Yeah, I think they sure did. And he caught it, that I immediately took that punch and threw it right back at him. And that really started that whole ball of those gut punches. Yeah, and and knowing how to respond to them. Yeah, absolutely. And and to be able to kind of modernize that. That's right. You know, in the meaning of women in positions where they're not always receptive, you're absolutely right. There's always a time. When somebody's going to say, are you up to it? And I think it happens across the board, regardless of race or gender. Oh, absolutely. But I think, you know, we tend to internalize it a little bit more. We being women, we being people of color, any marginalized group tends to internalize that a little bit more. Yeah. So that's a great thing of you got to be ready that sooner or later somebody's just going to test you. What are you going to do? Absolutely. And I think when you mentioned that to another gut punch or really not – you could say that, was when I was a VP of HR for a financial services organization. And I came there, and the CEO who hired me left, and the CEO that they hired was the former CFO, and we didn't get along. We basically Mm. were somewhat like Russia and the United States back in the Cold War was peaceful coexistence. But the gut punch really was, 
every time that I would advise her on a legal issue or labor issue, she would have to, the first time it occurred, she wanted to get some legal advice too, and the person said, well, here's what you should do, and it was exactly the same thing I said. Mm. Well, this went on for about at least maybe 10 or 15 times throughout that five-year career. And the ultimate was an issue that occurred, and I advised her on how we should handle it. She then went straight to our labor attorney, and he told her the exact same thing. And he said to her also, you really don't need me. Everything that I'm telling you, Nat has told you. And you're just paying an extra three, $400 an hour for information that your vice president of HR is telling you. And she was, he told her that while I was there. And mm. she looked at me and said, well, there's Nat, it's not that I don't trust you. I just wanted to have that feedback. And my gut punch was that. And I came right back to her. I said, Terry, his ice is colder than my ice. And she knew what I was saying. What does that mean, though? It means that whatever I said, she had to get the white lawyer to verify that everything mm. I said was accurate. And she understood that, yes, you may say the same thing, but you're a person of color. You're black. I got to mm -hmm. get the white boy, in this mm -hmm. case, the exact same thing, word for word. Now I can trust the ice is cold. Mm -hmm. So that was the first gut punch Early on in my career, and the second gut punch, not even the second, really, the ending gut punch, really, of my corporate career. But the, as you mentioned, being the only one, and as you want to rise up to that pinnacle of corporate America, yeah, you're going to get gut punch. You're going to be challenged. Your credentials, your experience, your knowledge, all of that was challenged with me. But I did not give up. Two I things, and, and, and what she said is, one, I hear from many um, people who are not, you know, kind of at that director and above level, that it just takes a long time. And you mentioned with Terry, it was five years before yep. you hit, before you struck. Whereas in the first one, as soon as you got it, you know, you were right there with right it. there. Yes, absolutely. Which are two things. One, five years is, is an infinite amount of patience. To wait for that oh, moment. Yeah. Um, and second, it calls about timing. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about both of those? There was a little bit of selfishness on my part. Okay. And the selfishness on the end was I had instituted a 401k program there. Mm -hmm. So if you throw the curveball, why did I stay? It was for the money. Okay. I've changed the whole vesting schedule to five years where you would get 100% vested of the money that I would put in and the money that this financial services would put in. Mm -hmm. So I stayed there long enough to be 100% vested, and then I walked away. And so it really was you were weighing the risk Absolutely. of when, when to, and timing. to respond back. Right? Absolutely. You've got to pick your battles and do you lose or win a skirmish, but are you winning the actual war? Let's pull it back a little bit more. Sure. In that people will say... I'm not putting up with being disrespected like that mm -hmm. for five years. I mean, they sure. make that stake in the ground kind of sure. thing. And I believe, but you you tell me your side of it, is the reason we can pick our battles is because we're clear on our purpose and we're clear on our goals. Absolutely. It's more so of the immediate response to the state police was like a sprint. The five years was like a marathon. I had a goal mm. in mind. I had a purpose in mind. Mm -hmm. And sure. The battles were there. 
but I didn't let that get to the point of losing what the overall objective was. I wanted to complete five years. That's what I gave myself coming in. I accomplished that. And despite all the, as you said, and I agree, the the punches or the pushbacks, in some cases the devaluation or devalidation of your knowledge or your comments or your proposals, you don't lose sight of what your overall objective. It's funny, as you say this, it brings to mind that clearly in your research around what creates peak performance and in the 21st century, what helps people be excellent, get that, that successfulness, part of it has to be is you have to have a long game. Is that true? Yes, you've got to. I mean, we're in the 21st century now, Denise, and we're looking at now 2018. This is the, and I used the term before, this is that first quarter Really, mm-hmm. we're midway or a little bit past that first quarter, the first 25 years of the 21st century. So we're really in that first quarter. Mm-hmm. So you've got to have a long game in there. Millennials and people coming in now, that's what you have, that long game. Or at what was told to me back when I worked for a company called Marriott, what's your plan? What's your long-term plan? If I'm 20-something, if I'm 30-something, hey, what's your long-term plan taking into account the changes that are occurring in this 21st century technology, new people coming in, new ideas. But still, what is your plan? It's a long game. It is a chess game. It's not a checkers. It's Mm -hmm. a marathon, not a sprint. Mm -hmm. So you've got to prepare, and you've got to also be prepared for, as you said, punches, and that really makes sure that you're in mental shape for that. Not just Mm. physical shape, but mentally shape. You've got to be strong. And you said it before. We, particularly women, particularly people of color, we allow people to devalue our judgment, underestimate us in terms of our potential. And you've got to be strong. You've got to be strong to face that. And I think if you ask the question, how can you remain strong in that? I always said one thing. You've got to have strong will internally, but you've got to have support groups. You've got to have people like yourself or others that are going to give you that strength, give you that encouragement. You can do. You will do. Wow. You said in just that few minutes so much. This idea of mentally in shape and then picking the people who are around you. Because yes. I, I think it's want people to be clear in hearing this because Those are two comments that people talk about in every book you read. You have to have the right mindset. You know, we, Mm -hmm. you know, my generation, your generation, we talk about it from a ability to mentally engage in the game. Now it's called mindfulness. Mm -hmm. So start there and tell me, as you evolved, if you were talking to your twenty-something self, or maybe thirty-something self, about this mental toughness, this being mentally in shape. What's one or two things you would tell yourself to practice all the time? Hmm. What I did, and I would say to folks, one, read as much as you possibly can. Hmm. Two, explore. I mean, really explore. Explore the whatever opportunity, explore the universe, a variety of things. Just explore. Don't let your mind be locked in on one thing. And I guess in answering that, I give you examples, really. I love geography, mm. for an example. And I also had a goal in my mind that I wanted to, at least here in the U.S., 
visit all 50 states. How did and you I, do? I'm only two states short. Which ones? Alaska and North Dakota. Ah! That's I've been all. to North Dakota. I yeah. haven't hit Alaska, and I had the same goal. Uh, same goal. Yeah, but here's, the, here's the other piece that you and I know. And one of the things that occurred, to in my life, I had an opportunity to go to the Middle East. The U.S. and the Middle East in, oh. this, in this way. One, I wanted to understand people's cultures. I wanted to learn. Not just reading the book, but I wanted to experience. So I wanted to travel. And the more I travel, the more I listen and I learned. So it was part of that was part of my career advancement. I learned people. And I guess to answer the question in there was reading, experiencing, those type of things. So one of the things that I learned through my 50 years being in this industry and traveling that we as Americans and in most a lot of cases we people of color – are very illiterate to other people's cultures. Yeah, I, I think you're I, right. I learned that. Not many people know that I actually went to college in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Okay. Oh, and wow. And that was, I know, right? Oh, and that's I'm awakening. In, I'm a born and bred Chicago person, right? Wow. And so when I left Chicago, I thought the world looked like Chicago. Right. I was 17, I thought the world looked like Chicago. Of course, there's black people everywhere, because black people were everywhere. There were all kinds of people, because I lived in an area that right. truly was a melting pot. Segregated, right. but it was but still, you pot. knew, you, exactly, and you had that exposure to different cultures in the city, and I just assumed that. Well, when I showed up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and was one of 25, 30 black people in the entire state, Oh, my goodness. Talk in the about entire the state. In the entire state. And the other side of it was is because at that time they hadn't close-up met black people, mm -hmm. we weren't feared. So it was one of the few times, in fact, many of the people who went to college there stayed there because it was the first time that they didn't feel like they were being discriminated because the person that they discriminated against was the Native American. Native American, right. And you could right. stand in the balcony and see how discrimination shows up Right. Every day. Right. And how it had impacted our mindset. Yeah. And I can imagine you going out there and they're looking at you and the others as a novelty. Wait a minute. Yes. What We see what's going on on TV, but now we've got a person real life within us. And your experience really in Sioux Falls is almost similar to us when I read Washington, D.C., to Memphis, but we lived in a place called Germantown, Tennessee, mm. and we integrated, this was something true, we integrated a Baptist church there. Mm. It was in Germantown. We were looking for a church, and we just went into the area. We went to this small Baptist church. We didn't know it was black or white, but when we got in there, we were the only black couple, and really I say couple family because my son and daughter were with us, and we went in there. We were the only African-Americans there. And the ironic thing about it, when we left that church that day, the pastor came to our house because we filled out the visitor's card. He came to our house, and he spoke to us. Let me fast forward, really, Denise. We became members of that church, and in 1987, I was ordained a deacon in that church. Mm the only African-American deacon to be ordained in the church. Mm -hmm. And the pastor, Dr. Lord Barker, I will never forget his name, he said to me when we came to visit, 
He said, we want to be an integrated church, but we can't be integrated if I don't have a person like you to join us. Mm-hmm. And we did. And the stories, when we got ready to relocate again, there were people in that church who was sad to see us go, and people came back to us and said, you really have educated us. We thought we had ideas about who African Americans were because we based, and this is Memphis, right next to Mississippi, we were basing it on our prejudices and biases and what we were told. But to see you there for four and a half years, your family, every day you were educating us. So again, it goes back to those subtle gut checks or those subtle little nuances that you see in your life that shape your career and shape what you're doing. So that's what well, we I'll realize. Extend, I'll even extend it a little bit because the second piece you said, one was about mental tough. Mm-hmm. And so there, you speak from a place of being grounded in what your long game was. And it sounds yeah. like it evolved over time in our discussions, but the other side of it is is you also talk about the power of the people around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that no matter who you are, in my situation, what I tell people about being in South Dakota is, In that moment, I learned that the power was really with me to decide how I was going to show up. And how I was showed up is actually what either fostered inclusion, not diversity, because diversity Mm -hmm. meant I just showed up. Right. But inclusion was, how was I going to have my social circle expand? Right. Such that the person that I'm grounded and know that I am to be was going to be able to be in a group that really was curious about who I was. And sometimes they said it right, did it right, and sometimes they didn't. Correct, yes. So when you're the only, as you and I have both been, yes, you're often navigating, or at least I was, often navigating this, did they come from a place of ignorance, not knowing, or are they coming from a place of, I'm going to put you down? Or see all of the above. And so how did you, of course, I believe you're never always right, so it's not about perfection. Yeah. But it is about something you said earlier about knowing how to pick your battles. Mm-hmm. How did you navigate that? Because you're in Tennessee. It's different yeah. in Tennessee because they know, they see. And, yeah. and at the time you were there, it was pitfalls. True. We navigated in the sense of what you said earlier. We knew who we were going in there, my wife and I and family. And the strength was, okay. We're going to be ourselves, but we're not going to allow ourselves to be, shall we say, intimidated and all. And that really comes from who both of us were at that time. We were very strong and confident in our abilities and skill set. My wife was an educator. I was in corporate America. So we were confident. We weren't in that sense of being very arrogant. No, we weren't arrogant in that sense of maybe being above, but we treated and we wanted to be treated and we looked at that part. We wanted to be equals and we Mm -hmm. carried ourselves where we were equals. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, I would say to you probably when you were in Dakotas, we were in Tennessee, that part of Memphis, Germantown, we knew we were going to educate them. And I said that to my family, we're going to educate these folks because what they see, we're going to give them an alternative. Because now they're going to see it up front and in close, and we're going to be socializing with these folks, and they're going to be interacting, and the more that they interact with us, the more they start coming over and going, wait a minute, I was told this, but I see this. Mm-hmm. And the more I see this, the more I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is going against my whole psyche of what I've been told for years. Mm-hmm. Going back to what you said way, way back to, what started this was in terms of, 
my mental toughness or my sense of being equal, maybe not being superior to them, but being equal, is where I grew up. That was the foundation. I saw African Americans, people of color, black and white, however you want to label it, accomplished people. I saw doctors. I saw lawyers. I saw teachers. I also saw business people who owned their own businesses who looked like me Mm -hmm. and who basically knew how to navigate through the maze. And I drew strength from them. I can say that, especially my teachers. And so when I would look at a person of an opposite race, I never looked down on them. And that mental toughness came over time that I didn't look down on them and I didn't expect them to look down on me. And when they did, I could play that mental tough game back to them. Now, in a lot of cases, as you said earlier, the gut punches were there because I was the only one. I was told that, hey, in some cases, you're too good to be true. Mm -hmm. I can't believe that somebody like you exists. I got all those little remarks trying to put me in this category. Well, who is this guy? Mm -hmm. But you had to demonstrate that. I mean, one of the major gut punches that I got, and I really want to share this with you, was when I was in Memphis, I got relocated, to go to Memphis to work at that time. It was Holiday Inns. And I was going to report to the VP of HR. And he told me during a series of interviews who I was replacing. Well, the gut punch was, Denise, the day I reported, that VP said, we've restructured. The person that you were going to replace, you're now reporting to. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was a major gut punch. Oh, yeah. And it evolved for about a year and a half, and I went back to him and said, this is not working. We're not working at all. We're definitely butting heads. And that VP made a comment that, again, another gut punch. He said, Nat, you're absolutely right, but I don't have the courage to make the change. Yeah. So again, so back say to that your... I have a client who she's reporting to a guy who the project failed three times previously, mm-hmm. and she's come in in ten months or eleven months, and they have gotten traction that they haven't seen over that particular time, and she's wrestling with exactly what you're talking about yeah. of an organization or a boss who doesn't have, um, who, who won't admit they don't have the courage because at least right. your your boss admitted. Oh, yes, he did. (laughs) I feel like I don't have the power or my hands are tied or whatever, but they're not admitting to her, and she's very frustrated. Now, he admitted, and let me chime in. The navigation then, once he told me that, I had to now plan a strategy of how I was going to navigate out of there. And that took at least two months, Mm -hmm. walking around the corporate headquarters, looking at people who I had interacted before as a HR person, but now looking at them to see their divisions and their departments, could I navigate and could I negotiate a position of transfer into that particular department and all? So to answer your question, I successfully did that. You went outside of HR? I didn't go outside of HR per se, but I went outside of my division and negotiated Ah, a position within HR in another division. So I had to I had to go out there and really do some scouting to determine, okay, is this a viable option for me? Who are the people? Start talking to them, convincing them that this was an opportunity for them to bring me on because you're looking at budgets and everything else mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. take me on in midstream and be a contributor. So, again, the navigation skills, I basically had 
made friends with these people, and they liked me. And I basically went to one, particularly, met that person for dinner, and told them, here's what I want to do. Just, well, that's interesting, because yeah. most people are scared to ask for what they want. No. Thinking they're too bold, it's inappropriate, etc. And I say that when I'm doing business coaching and counseling to others, too. When you just said they're afraid, I developed that attitude. All they can say is no, but I'm going to ask. Mm-hmm. I am going to ask for this and that, because if you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, our people of color, in a lot of cases, our women, we don't ask. You yeah. don't ask for it, and so you take anything. And I'm saying, yeah. no, don't do that. Yeah. Don't but do I think, that I at all. I think the reason is, and that's, that's, and this is the hardest thing in my coaching and working mm-hmm. with executives is, they're so busy worrying about the short game that they can't think about the long game. True. And I equated with, if you're not willing to take 200 no's to get to that yes, then you're probably not committed and mentally tough in your language. That's true. Game. I mean, just thinking about what you did is, okay, I realize that this is what this is, and I can accept it for a short period of time. But my long game is also to find a place where I can fit and contribute. And you started going out collecting Collecting information data, information and, and data. Yeah, there. absolutely. Yeah. And you said it. You used a key term. It's a game. Yeah. It is a game that you've got to be, as I said earlier, mentally tough and physically. You don't let them, because the stress level, no. You know who you are. You know what you're capable of doing. Now you've got to negotiate and navigate, looking around at the landscape and say, okay, is there an opportunity here within this company for me? Mm -hmm. Who do I know in that company? And I made it a habit, really, hey, let me go to lunch with that person. You say, Mm -hmm. what tools around there maybe? When it's relationship building. It's Mm -hmm. out there taking that person or going to lunch with them or Mm -hmm. maybe meeting them early or at the gym Mm -hmm. or at the spa. Whatever case may be, you want to build that relationship there because you never know, and particularly HR folks, we basically know what's going on generally throughout the company. That's who we are. So you build up those relationships with key people. You build that relationship. So if you need to navigate later on, you've got that person maybe that can be a conduit, can be an advocate, can be anything to help you in that navigational process. So that's what I've learned in those 50 years, one, mental toughness, two, how to negotiate, how to win friends, support groups. When I change jobs, I would always let people know before email where I am, mm-hmm. what I'm doing, giving them updates. Mm-hmm. Because Bringing them along. All right, then. Well, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for this hour of your time. Denise, thank um, and, you. Uh, you're just an amazing person, and I hope well, you know that. Well, I thank you very much. I really wish you all the success that life has to offer. And, again, it has been a blessing having you come into my circle, and I hope the same thing. It's been a blessing to you for me to come into your circle. Absolutely. (laughs) There is no question about that hands down. (laughs) So, again, I sincerely thank you for this opportunity and wish you continued success. Anybody who's listening to this, if you like what you've heard, come back. We post something every week from interesting people, which I call really ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things in their life and trying to build community and change the world one step at a time. It's a marathon, not a sprint. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and took away a few tips that will close the gap between making your dream life your real life. If you enjoyed this podcast, pass it along. Leave a question or a comment below. It would mean the world to me if I could connect with you. So, 
Go out to my LinkedIn page, Ask for a Connection, or Twitter at Coach HRM. And remember, answers are better than anger. Seek empowerment rather than the divisiveness. And the responsibility is yours to achieve the life that you really want to have. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.